three, two, one. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Kentucky Caliber today. Hey, this morning we had a really good show. Um, I really appreciate the invitation for Mr. Jack Patty to be on his uh, his show, the Jack Patty Show, which is 590 AM Talk Radio there in Lexington, Kentucky. So if you folks, if you want to check that out, they usually have the, um, the shows posted by the next day. So we were on from uh, 9 until 10 this morning. So probably by tomorrow, if you look under podcast, if you go to the website for the uh, 590 AM Talk Radio Lexington, um, if you go to the website, you'll find a, a drop-down bar under podcast. And usually, if you just go by, scroll down by the date, uh, they'll have today's show posted by tomorrow if you missed it. Uh, it's a good conversation. I really appreciate it. We had a good discussion about the well, a whole bunch of things, but uh, first and front and center was the... Um, the January 6th committee and the significance of that and what it means uh, not just for the, the the election year this year but also for you know the larger sense the country's history and so that's really what I wanted to talk about today and I just wanted to make a few key points you know when we do the uh, when I when I do the interviews as, as a guest on talk radio we don't always have the same amount of time due to uh, you know this, the constraints of the show, so I didn't get to make all the points that I wanted to, and and I had some things I, I would have added to that show had had there been time. So I thought I would just add those to the show today since we didn't get to get to those earlier. First, uh, about the uh, January sixth committee itself, um, Congress has two sources of authority for creating committees like the January sixth committee. The first is direct power, it's, it's expressly written in the Constitution, and the second one is implied powers. So for the first part, the Constitution, per Article 1, which enumerates the powers granted to Congress by the Constitution, sp- specifically states that Congress has the power to establish tribunals. Well, a tribunal is just a forum for resolving disputes or conducting a, an investigation to try to find out what happened. That, that's all it is. That's, that's all the tribunal is. So the 1-6 committee could be considered uh, a type of tribunal. That's specifically stated in the Constitution. The second type of power which Congress has is implied power. And that has been upheld by the Supreme Court and enumerated by the Supreme Court uh, numerous times. Congress has actually been conducting inquiries of this type since 1827, and those types of inquiries have been upheld by the Supreme Court. Sometimes it happens that an individual that was subpoenaed by Congress to testify didn't want to, and the basis for their lawsuit was that Congress lacked the authority to compel them to appear, and the Supreme Court has consistently, repeatedly, and overwhelmingly held that the, the Congress does have the authority to conduct investigations. In fact, Chief Justice Warren in 1957 wrote, and I, I'm quoting here from one of the cases that he ruled for the majority opinion, Watkins versus the United States, quote, the power of Congress to conduct investigations is inherent in the legislative process, and that power is broad. And I tell you that because whenever you hear folks say, and unfortunately some members of the, the Republican Party and former President Trump and his supporters have been saying that the 1-6 committee is not legitimate. Well, they're 100% wrong. The Constitution specifically 
clearly and explicitly grants Congress the authority to conduct these types of investigations. Congress has conducted many of many such investigations over its history. Some of those you may know from, from history, the Watergate hearings, the Iran-Contra, the McCarthy hearings from the 1950s, and so forth. And now today, the uh, January 6th committee hearings. So this is just the latest in a, a long line of congressional hearings that have been uh, conducted under the authority granted to Congress by the Constitution. The second thing is that the findings of this particular committee have been uh, very important. What they have uncovered or what they have put together is a large body of information pertaining to the events of January 6, 2021 in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol building. And what they have done is conducted over a thousand interviews, gathered over a hundred thousand documents for uh, or pertaining to the 1-6 uh, event. You can call it an attack, an event, an incident. It's all the same thing uh, as far as the committee is concerned with their information gathering. So that means two things. One, the committee now has more information on the events of January 6th than anybody else. No other organization or individual anywhere has that much information on the January 6th attack. Second, and, and beyond that, I mean, the second point, um, that information is now officially part of the historical record. It is part of the permanent historical record, which means future generations will now have access to all of that information that the committee has gathered. And they can study it and read it or listen to it and watch it and, and almost certainly argue about it. Um, I'm quite sure future generations will come along and, and have different interpretations of what they see and hear than we do today. That's just the nature of, of uh, generational change, so I ex would expect that to happen. But they're able to do that because it's part of the committee, uh, the Congressional Permanent Record. And so one of the things that, um, that the committee has established with all that information is that the attacks of January 6th were a historic event for the United States. Historic. For over 200 years in this country, we have had a peaceful transition of power for the office of the presidency. You know, the presidency is the highest elected office we have. It's the head of the executive branch of the government. And so they're the commander-in-chief of the army. And so we, for over 200 years, we've had elections through civil war, through world war, through pandemic, natural disasters, all the things that have happened in our history. We have managed to continue that tradition until January 6, 2021. On that day... 140 police officers were injured by 1-6 attackers on the Capitol building itself while Congress was trying to certify the results of the 2020 presidential election. So that was a violent attack on the Capitol building in an effort to disrupt the peaceful transmission of power. It's the first time in over 200 years that this has happened in the United States. To date, the FBI has charged eight people with criminal conduct on the Capitol grounds or near the Capitol grounds on January 6th. So it's already the largest single criminal investigation in American history. And the FBI estimates that it could grow to as large as 2,000 people before it's all said and done. So anyone who tries to say that this was no big deal or it's not a significant event is completely wrong. It is a historic event. It was the first time that there was an attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power, which is a cornerstone 
of our system of government. It is required by the Constitution, and it is vital to our way of life. So the January 6th attackers were not only attacking Congress. They were attacking the Constitution. They were attacking the United States of America, and they were attacking the American way of life. So what? So far, there, there's going to be a series of these hearings, and to date, there have only been two. And so we can only... That the information that the committee has revealed so far in those two hearings was not previously available to the public. So we can only, I can only analyze what they've shared so far. There'll be more future hearings with additional information, so I don't, I don't know yet what that's going to contain. But the primary takeaway from what we've, what's been presented so far is that former President Trump knew far in advance of January 6th he knew two things. One, that he'd lost the election. And second, that there was no widespread fraud. You know, there's, there's never been a perfect election in American history, anywhere. There's never been an election without some irregularities, maybe here and there an isolated case of, of someone trying to commit voter fraud. But never has the impact or existence of those isolated cases, never has that changed the outcome of an election in American history. It's never happened. And it did not happen in 2020. The Department of Justice, and as the deposition reveals, and by the way, that means those folks were testifying under oath, just like in a court of law. When you have to testify to Congress under oath, it's just like you're testifying in a court. If you lie, that's perjury, and you can be prosecuted for that. So all the folks that, that gave depositions, that's just a sworn statement under oath that they swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to the Congressional, uh, to the 1-6 committee. And what folks, including the former Attorney General Bill Barr and deputy attorneys that work for him, have shared with the, with the with Congressional committee and now with the public, they took all of the allegations of fraud in the 2020 election made by former President Trump and his associates seriously. They took all of those allegations seriously. They investigated those allegations painstakingly. They sent agents to conduct interviews. They reviewed physical evidence. They reviewed video and audio um, footage where that was available. And they put it all together and informed him well before the January 6th attack, well before, at least a month in advance, if not more, that there was in fact no widespread fraud. None of the allegations were substantiated and none of them were true. That was communicated directly to then-President Trump, and in private, he acknowledged it. He acknowledged that. And then he would go back out onto TV, under the TV cameras and repeat the same allegations to the public, even though he knew in private that they were false. So that means he knew he lost, he knew there was no fraud, and he lied to the American people anyway. And so the big question a lot of people want to ask is, does that constitute criminal conduct? Is telling a lie or expressing your belief criminal conduct? Well, by itself, no, those things do not constitute criminal conduct. You and I, including the president, can express an opinion or, an, or a belief. That's First Amendment protected. The problem is that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about simply someone expressing their opinion or expressing their belief. We're talking about committing official acts using the office of the presidency to attempt to prevent the lawful and peaceful transfer of power to the rightfully elected president of the United States in 2020. And so there's a, a former U.S. attorney, and this there's a good article in The New Yorker on this. Uh, I read it a couple days ago and I made some notes from it. But 
there is a, a provision of Title 18 of the U.S. Code, and I think it's Section 371. And that specific statute states that anyone who, with fraudulent intent, impedes or attempts to impede the functioning of the U.S. government can be charged with felony conduct. That's a felony. So if you impede or try to impede the functioning of the U.S. government with fraudulent intent, you can be prosecuted in a court of law. And so when we have a sitting president directly telling the vice president not to do his duty, and he's you can watch the video. There's a million videos out there. A lot of different people recorded it. There, you can see it online that former President Trump clearly and publicly told Vice President Pence he did not want him to do his constitutional duty and certify the election results, which were which, which had been sent to Congress on, on January 6th. And so that is a clear attempt to impede the functioning of the United States government, according to Title 18, Section 371. Now, whether or not the Department of Justice agrees with me, I don't know. Maybe they'll end up uh, pursuing a criminal case. Maybe they won't. It's not even clear yet if the January 6th committee will themselves choose to um, make a criminal referral to the Department of Justice. Now, that's just a recommendation, by the way. So whether they recommend something or not, really, the Department of Justice is not obligated to act on their recommendation. They could ignore a recommendation to press charges and they could press charges even if the committee doesn't recommend that they do so. So the Department of Justice, that's an independent branch. They're separate from Congress. They don't, they don't have to listen to the committee if they don't want to. And so it remains to be seen whether or not that that will, in fact, happen. But I think there's a reasonable chance that it could. That, I think, is a big question. So we're, we're going beyond simply someone lying about election results uh, or lying about uh, the outcome of the 2020 election to actually trying to impede the lawful functioning of the U.S. government as is required by the Constitution. So I'll be interested to see what happens with that. I think it'll be interesting to watch as we go forward whether or not um, prosecutors attempt to um, make that case in court or whether they think they can get uh, a conviction. And, you know, the burden of proof is always on the prosecution. And that's as it should be. It should be difficult to convict any American citizen of a crime because that has severe consequences. And the Constitution specifically gives all individuals protections. You know, that's, that's really what the Constitution is. It's designed to protect citizens from the government. Even if we think they're guilty, even if we don't like them, it doesn't matter. The Constitution is there to protect citizens, including the president, from the government. So there is a, a legal process, and I don't know what's going to happen with that as we go forward in the future. But I would argue that the establishment of the 1-6 committee and the committing of its findings to the permanent public record and to the permanent congressional record is itself already a degree of justice. I'm not arguing that it's uh, the full measure of justice, but I do think it's a degree of justice because now this information has been shared with the public. It's out there for everyone to see and everyone to hear. And it's going to be preserved uh, in the archives uh, of Congress. So it'll be there for future generations to take a look at. Another big question that comes up when, it, uh, when we talk about the events of uh, January 6th was, was this an, a coup attempt? 
That's that's another big question. Was it simply, as my conservative friends like to argue, was it just a riot that got out of hand, or was it actually a coup attempt? Well, the definition of a coup attempt is the use of force to gain power. And that includes the use of force to overturn a lawful election in order to put someone in power who doesn't belong there. And they don't belong there because they lost the election. So here in the United States, you have to win your election in order to take office. Yes, in the case of the president, you have to win enough votes in the Electoral College to secure a majority. But in every state, the Electoral College vote is tied to the popular vote. Some, some have winner-take-all, some do a percentage. It doesn't matter. This, the point is, still stands that the, the popular vote drives the electoral vote. It just does it in, in different ways depending on which state that, you, that you're in. So if someone attempted to prevent that process from occurring by force, they attempted to seize the office of the presidency by force. And that, by definition, is a coup attempt. Now, it was a failed coup attempt, obviously, and not a very well-organized one, but I don't think it would behoove the American people or government authorities to sit back and wait until a better-organized, better-armed attempt almost succeeds before they take it seriously. The, the attempt to disrupt the lawful proceedings by force is a very serious threat to the country. I know they didn't, most of them, most of the folks that were involved in the capital attacks, even those that were charged, did not have firearms on their possession. Some did, but almost all didn't. And that's a good thing. We should be thankful for that. That doesn't make their attempts any less, you know, a brutal for the police who had metal clubs swung at their heads um, or were jabbed with these uh, long flagpoles or had bear spray, you know, sprayed into their face, which, by the way, is just a more concentrated form of pepper spray. Um, and so, you know, the 140 police officers that were injured due to the, the capital attackers, you know, no, they weren't shot, but they were still injured. And so you don't have to have a gun to attempt a coup. Obviously, if you want to look at it from a straight, a strictly tactical standpoint, your odds of success are probably higher if you are organized and have firearms. But it's not required that you use that particular uh, weapon in order to be involved in a, in a coup attempt. So I think that it does meet the definition of a coup attempt from those who broke into the Capitol building with the intent of stopping the certification of the election results. And it's pretty clear from the footage that was released that people did, in fact, break into the Capitol building by force, smashing windows, smashing doors, uh, overturning police barricades, knocking down police. That is forceful and unlawful entry by any legal definition. So anyone who says, well, someone just opened a door and all they did was walk in, no. That is completely disproven by the video footage. Not just that the committee released, but even before that, there was other, other video evidence that already existed um, to, to illustrate that and to show that. Now, it's true that many of the folks that have been charged by the FBI have, been, have not been charged with uh, sedition or insurrection or anything like that. Many of the charges are, are lesser charges. That is true. I think by my last count, and there's a database online of folks who have been charged or, or, or are being charged or already convicted in connection to the Capitol attacks, and uh, the FBI has a, a database of those folks. And I think there are 11 who have been actually charged with seditious conspiracy. So that is a pre-existing effort to show up and prevent the lawful transfer of power, which was going to take, which still took place anyway. When, when Congress, when the police and the security agencies were able to restore 
order in the Capitol building, and the certification continued, and then Joe Biden was officially certified as the, the winner of the election. And for folks that, you know, it's unfortunate there are folks that are still repeating uh, former President Trump's lies that he won the election, which he did not. They're still repeating their li- his lies that there was widespread election fraud. There was not. Um, by some counts, as many as 100 candidates in the election this year have won primaries by making those kinds of claims, by echoing his, his lies about the election. So clearly his lies are living on you know, far beyond his own term of office. And that's something that the American public will simply have to reckon with as we go forward, not only in this election, uh, but also in the future. And, you know, I have a lot of folks and, and folks on the show this morning made this point when they called in. They said, well, you know, the Democrats are just trying to distract uh, the people, the public from high gas prices and high inflation. Well, you know, if a police officer misses their daughter's birthday party because they're arresting a burglar, whose fault is it that that party, that, the, that they didn't go to the birthday party? Is it the police officer's fault or is it the burglar's fault? It's the burglar's fault. If that guy hadn't been committing a crime, the police officer could have gone to their daughter's birthday party. Well, so if Donald Trump hadn't lied about the election and lied about fraud, there wouldn't be a 1-6 committee. So it's 100% his fault that these hearings are taking place. Blaming the committee for doing their job is like blaming the police for doing theirs. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's patently, and and it's not only offensively false, it's an insult to our intelligence to even entertain that notion. Now, that doesn't mean that inflation is not a real problem. You bet it is. That doesn't mean that high gas prices aren't a real problem. You bet they are. You bet it is. I go to the gas station. I go to the grocery store, too. I see that every day. I know it is. I'm worried about that, too. And if folks want to blame the, the party in power for how the economy is performing, well, that is why we have elections. You know, when you're going to run for, for federal office, especially the presidency or Congress, and you make promises that you can better manage the economy than your predecessors, and then bad things happen on your watch, whether it's your fault or not, it happened on your watch. So you have to take responsibility, and, and that may cost you an election. It's happened in the past to both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, if, the econ- if economic conditions are bad enough and the party out of power is able to blame the party in power, then it usually results in a win. That's a proven and effective electoral strategy. It's happened before, and it it may indeed happen again this year. But there will be other elections, and that is a key point that I think folks like former President Trump don't seem to understand, that losing an election is not the end of the world. It's really not. There will be other elections. In the case of Congress, there's an election every two years. So every other year, you have an opportunity if you think that Congress is doing a bad job or that your, your official shouldn't be there or that there's somebody else should, should take power. Well, then you can campaign for them and help them win in that election the next year. So it's very, you know, there's a very frequent opportunity to do that. And that is by design. Our founders understood that there would be a need for frequent elections at that level, at the federal level, especially in the House of Representatives, so that in case things went wrong, People would have a, a much faster means of redress. You know, you don't have to, to vote for someone in Congress and then wait 10 years before you can get rid of them by voting them out. You can do it the year after next. So losing an election is not the end of the world. And that is something that I don't think Donald Trump understands or, or some of his remaining supporters don't understand, that he lost. Okay, it's not fun to lose an election. I'm not saying it is. 
You don't have to like losing an election. I'm not saying you should. But what you do have to do is to accept the will of the American people. That is required by our Constitution, and it's required to be a good citizen. If you can't abide by the Constitution, if you cannot uphold and support the process by which we, you know, manage our democratic governance and elections are the way we do, as messy and as loud and sometimes as chaotic and even absurd as they get, they can be sometimes, they're still the best way for the will of the people to be expressed and to choose their elective representatives to make laws and policies for our country. You know, Winston Churchill, I think, said it best that he said, quote, you know, democracy is the worst form of government there is except for all the alternatives, right? So it may not, you know, it's, it's the best we can do, it, but it may not be that great overall sometimes um, itself. And, and that is something that his supporters also seem to have forgotten. You know, and it's very true that throughout history, you know, right before the 1-6 the attacks, President Trump was on camera telling people to fight like hell. Well, lots of presidents have said things like that. Lots of people running for office have said things like that. That in itself is not that unusual. What I think is unusual is the response that some of his supporters had to those statements. So why did they take those type of statements literally when 200 years in the past of Americans listening to, to political speeches did not? And I don't, I don't have the answer to that right now. I don't know exactly why they decided that they wanted to, to believe or, or follow those uh, or interpret that literally as a literal directive to, to march on the Capitol and to break into the Capitol building and to try to stop the certification of a, of a lawful election from happening. I'm not sure why they, they thought that was the right thing to do. But the fact is that they did it. We saw it. We watched it. It happened. And now there has to be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning for those individuals involved who've already been charged or who are going to be charged and convicted. There has been a reckoning for former President Trump who lost his job and his reputation. I know he still has supporters, but Gallup, Pew, and almost Rasmussen, almost all of the, the most respected polling institutions that we have tell us that 50% of people who voted for President Trump in 2020 would not do so again. And that is a direct result of the events of one-sixth and his response to them, or, or his lack of response to them, I should say. And, and I think that the Congressional Committee will shed some more light on that as we go forward in the future. But they have not got into that specific topic yet um, as to the, uh, the way the events uh, took place that day and the response of police and security services to those events. So we'll get to that uh, in the future, I think, but, but they haven't yet. There's going to be other elections. If you lose, you know, you shake hands with the winner and you try again next time. You know, if you really feel like that you need to campaign every day, you're free to do that. If you feel like you need to spend, you know, 24 hours a day talking, you're free to do that. Um, if you want to support everybody that's running against the person who won, you're free to do that. That's, you know, what our system allows. But what it does not allow is a forceful attempt to prevent the peaceful transition of power and that's what happened on January 6th. Thankfully, they failed. Thankfully, they were not able to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. But we as a nation should now be awakened to the danger that exists because there is a threat here in the United States that armed groups may attempt to replicate or duplicate what happened in Washington, D.C. 
at state capitals or even local areas. Because, you know, the modern communications with the Internet has made, things, it made it very easy to organize and plan events for folks to come together and to carry out either attacks or disruptions against their perceived or real political opponents. So there is a, a significant and real security threat that we have to be aware of. And, and security agencies are within their rights to take whatever means they need under the law to continue to provide for safe and secure elections. Because our election process works very well. There, every year when we have, every time there's an election and there's any irregularities or there's fraud attempts, we learn from that. And systems are tweaked and changed and updated on built on lessons from the previous election. And that continues over and over and over again. So that's why it's so difficult for any one person to commit you know, widespread massive fraud of the kind that was alleged and was not true by, by Donald Trump and, and other folks like, like uh, the former mayor of New York, Giuliani. And by the way, you know, I, I was on active duty when, when Giuliani was mayor of New York. And I, I can remember a time when he was, you know, he was America's hero. He was America's mayor. Um, and I just, I don't know what has happened to that guy, but I, I'll tell you that it's sad. It's really sad to see what has become of him. It's, it's not what I would have wanted or wished for. And I hope he gets help and is able to, you know, turn his life around because I, I don't know what, what happened or what's gone wrong there. But it's, it's just, for me, it's just a sad thing to see. Not something I would have ever, ever wanted. Um, certainly not. But there's still a, an ongoing threat that future groups may decide to replicate or duplicate uh, a 1-6 style attack on state uh, capitals or locals. Uh, and we have to be aware of that. And we should also recognize that at the bottom of it all was a lie. A lie that was repeated by the President of the United States and his associates on a systematic and widespread level, and that many people today still believe that lie. So we're going to have, it's going to take, it'll be, there's a lot of work to do, and it's going to be an ongoing effort, and we have to keep fighting for the truth, because the truth will not survive without champions. It will not survive without defenders. That's part of the reason why it's so important for folks to speak out and speak up on behalf of the truth and not give in to intimidation, uh, whether there's name calling or, or rude behavior. You know, this morning on the show, uh, and Mr. Patty is such a great host that, that you know, there were folks, uh, when I said essentially the same things I'm saying on, on this show, when folks were, were he said there's some people calling names and, and things like that, he would not read them on the air, and I appreciate that. But they don't scare me. They don't scare me at all. So folks out there think they can intimidate people into believing lies. You got another thing coming. Uh, this is America, and we don't do that. So you will fail. But it's still important for the rest of us to speak up and understand that the truth has champions. The truth needs champions. And we're all a part of that, and it's all a part of our responsibility as citizens to speak out and hold our elected officials accountable. Whether it's for lies they told about losing an election, they, about losing an election uh, or whether it's for policies that we don't like that may be contributing to high inflation or, or higher gas prices. And we'll, we'll deal with those topics on a, on a separate show. But that's all I had for today. Um, I really appreciate everyone listening, and I hope you have a great day.